This is Ken here with a hot tip on how to catch some off-familial acting action on the small screen. In the Wing Season 3 episode, My Brother's Keeper, we have members of the Daily Brood sharing space. As you may know, Tim Daly plays Joe Hackett, brother to Brian. Now in this episode, Time Daly, Tim's real-life sister, guest stars as a wealthy quadrigenarian that makes a boy toy out of Brian Hackett. The Daily Brood share more than scenes in this sitcom as they go tete-a-tete in hot familial drama. Joe may not want to share his brother Brian with his sister's character Mimsy, and if you fast forward to time code 1445, you may just get to see Tim light Mimsy's cigarette, if you know what I mean. For those craving to see a brother and sister share a smoking stick, this episode of Wings just might be your flight of fancy. Welcome back to Wings Nuts, the audio program that talks about each and every episode of classic 1990s sitcom Wings. Double your pleasure, double your fun. Hey, Emerson, how are you doing? I'm good. How you doing, Jared? Uh, just fantastic. Really yeah. excited to sit here and talk some wings. Me too. And while it may just seem like a week since uh, you, the listeners, have uh, hung out with us, it's been a month or two. Yeah, we took a, a bit of a, a break of sorts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Although I'm, I'm sure it'll be like more than a week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, between episodes. <laughs> but glad to be back in the cockpit. So today's episode is season three, episode six, "My Brother's Keeper." That's right. Which first aired November seventh, nineteen ninety one. Yes. And we have uh, an IMDb summary written by RCS0411. I feel like you should just read his, right? Yeah, that, would, that, one, that, one, that, one, that, that one works. IMDb summary. A wealthy woman comes to the island and takes a liking to Brian. And it isn't long before he becomes her boy toy. The gang is hoping that Brian can get her to invest with them or donate to some benefit they're involved with. But Joe tells Brian that he should be ashamed of himself, but is having too much of a good time to listen. Joe then decides to tell her what he thinks of her, but she cuts him off by saying she wants to invest with him. That's when he changes his tune. Okay. Written written by RCS0411 at yahoo.com. And if you have any comments about it, go ahead and email us at (laughs) wingsnutsprogram at gmail.com. Thanks, Ricks. Or email rcs0411 at yahoo.com. This episode was directed by Andy Ackerman. And it was written by David Lloyd, who previously wrote Friends or Lovers and Mother War Stripes. Oh, cool. Yeah, Mother War Stripes. We uh, loved that one. The the Hackett Mom. That that one had had like a real emotional turn. Wait, no, that, 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 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. I was thinking of a totally different one. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, thinking yeah. of the one where Faye gets mistaken as the criminal. Oh, no, that one's fun, too. Yeah. Yeah. And the Mother of War Stripes had like a, kind of like a heavy, a heavier like emotional play where it was like, a, yeah, like their mother shows up and Joe like is, you know, refusing to really kind of give her the time of day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a good one. And I'm seeing that uh, David Lloyd is writing with kind of familial themes, the subtext to this episode, you know, with uh, Time Daily mm-hmm. uh, guest starring. Interesting. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of Time Daily, do you want to, should we do a rundown of some of the guest appearances, the guest players that appear in this episode? Definitely. Okay. So briefly, we had thespian Kevin Brief appear as businessman number one. And he appeared in such projects as Tales from the Crypt, Baywatch, Golden Girls, Home Improvement, Coach, Married with Children, Star Trek Enterprise, Malcolm in the Middle, The Big Bang Theory, and CSI Vegas. Cool. Then we had David Keith Alexander as businessman number two. And he has a uh, less illustrious acting career he appeared mm-hmm. on beverly hills 90210 and then we had jay bell as lars and he did an 11 episode run on days of our lives appeared on cheers designing women frazier and the fresh prince of bel-air and he's who is lars I'm trying to remember I, I believe that is mimsy's uh kind of um uh, groveling henchman Okay. Not henchman, but his her lackey that follows yeah. him around. I'm okay. not sure he, he had any lines, but he was got a lot of screen time. Yeah. Um, and then we had Tyne Daly, a familiar name. This is uh Tim Daly's real life sister playing Mimsy or, or uh, Mrs. Moragraves, I think her name was. Yes, yeah. She's probably best known as Lacey from Cagney and Lacey. Uh, but she did a long stint on Judging Amy as Maxine Gray. She played Phyllis on Murphy Brown. That's the new iteration of Murphy Brown. Oh, okay. Uh, she was on a pretty cool 70s show called The New People. Uh, she appeared on The Mod Squad. And she is in an excellent episode of Columbo called A Bird in the Hand. Oh, cool. I and love I, Columbo. Yeah, and I, after watching this, I rewatched uh, that episode, and yeah, she plays uh, uh, one of the baddies in in that episode. Oh, cool. Okay, nice. Yeah, I, what did you think about uh, Tyne Daly? Uh, not necessarily her performance, but just her bringing her energy into Wings. I mean, I'm unfamiliar with her completely. I I've never experienced this this woman in my life, and so <laughs> I don't I don't know. Oh, well, I, I thought I thought the voice was annoying. <laughs> so she kind of had that fast talking mid Atlantic accent that they used to use in the screwball comedies, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. so she annoyed you? Yes, hundred percent. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. See, I was I had I was just delighted by her performance. Oh so yeah. No, I thought it was funny. I thought it served the comedy, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I I know that you really like this episode. I mean, spoiler alert. But I was. I don't know. It's gr- it grows on me each time I watch it. <laughs> I think this episode has a really, a lot of really fun visual moments. Yes. Yeah. And um, are are you uh, 
Tyne, are you going to go look for more of her performances now? Are you curious about her? I might try that Columbo episode, but otherwise, no, not really. Okay. okay. I see where you stand. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't take it personally. <laughs> but I, I just became fascinated by her, and I uh, I thought that this makes a great uh, entry into the Mrs. Kin catalog with Tyne, Tyne and Tim appearing together. 100%. Yes. Are these the first like real life uh, siblings we've seen on Wings? Hey, yes, I, I'm going to say yes. Yeah, I mean, there might have been someone that kind of slipped in that we didn't catch, but I think it's the first time that we're aware of. I thought it'd be fun if we just read some some quotes from Tyne Daly, the actor. She's a interesting person. Cool, definitely. I'll start us off. Sure. I don't take part in texting and those other things myself, so I don't really know if people put as much thought into messaging as they used to into writing letters. I don't have a waist. I'm a bread box on top of legs. (laughs) (laughs) A critic is someone who never actually goes to the battle, yet who afterwards comes out shooting the wounded. Whoa, okay. I do games of solitaire when I get home to quiet my spirit. <laughs> I'm a greedy actor in the sense that I like the big bites. Put a big fat steak in front of me and I will eat it. When I got married, my marriage was illegal in 17 states because my husband had a different skin color than I did. And we saw those laws go down one at a time. Women are usually only interesting to studio executives when they are fecund. Between the ages of 15 and 30, I decided to get through the really tough patch around 50 by just cutting my price and playing 10 years older. I didn't want to have to wait until I was an old lady to play one. (laughs) In 6th and 7th grade, my two best friends and I pretended to be horses. Every day after school, we would gallop around, whinnying and stamping our hooves and tossing our manes for hours. <laughs> you know, my hair is very upsetting to people, but it's upsetting on purpose. It is important to look old so that the young will not be afraid of dying. People don't like old women. We don't honor age in our society, and we certainly don't honor it in Hollywood. Hmm... I'm not glamorous. I don't have a look. I don't know anything about opera. I have no Italian and I'm too old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry I didn't wear paint this morning. I tend not to wear it unless I'm getting highly paid. (laughs) She didn't charm you, but I think she's a a real character. Yeah, I mean, her character didn't charm me. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And she was doing a very put upon voice that like, I don't know. Yeah. She made yeah. a choice. She made a strong choice. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's I, I, what I was saying though is that like each each I watched this episode three times, kind of take notes, uh, mm-hmm. or at least take mental notes because I <laughs> did really bad with notes this episode. But um, yeah, like each time I watched it, she grew on me more. But yeah, she initially it just like it was like PTSD for like the 1980s reruns because i grew up as as we've uh mentioned in the past i grew up without cable and so like my saturday afternoons were just like flipping through you know whatever like channel the the like nine or eleven because you had channel yeah the the three big ones yeah yeah nbc cbs abc you had fox 
Um, and then you had like, we had channel 13 out here. I think it was KCOP and we had channel five KTLA and like a lot of, of television programming was just like reruns of probably Cagney and Lacey of like shows yes. from the seventies and sixties <laughs> that for me, like, you know, being 12 years old, uh, it just felt, it made me feel so like alone. <laughs> I was just like, like, I felt like I was like just trapped in the middle of Van Nuys and I was like, Oh, like, like you know, hot summer days and like hundred and five degrees in a swamp cooler house. And there's like these, like these old TV shows where like the color was that like, kind of dusty mm-hmm. kind of almost mm-hmm. like a little bit, it, it wasn't black and white, but it had that sort of dusty sort of kind of yeah. mute, muted tone. I know what you mean. Like, um, but like shows like Bonanza was the ones that gave me that feeling and the Andy Griffith show, you know, I can appreciate that show now, but like, I felt that kind of ennui when I... Boy, when oh I, boy, Pete. Looks like you painted your house again. Well, what else was I going to do with uh, <laughs> um, my Sunday morning? <laughs> well, you could have gone to church. <laughs> oh, Andy, my fish got stuck in my boot. Well, you shouldn't have put the fish in that boot. By the way, was that during this morning? Because today's Sunday, and I didn't see you at church. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so should we? uh, Yeah, like, like I, I like. I'm sorry that like um, I wish we could bring in like a Tyne Daily appreciator to kind of like nerd out with you on this you got enough time daily appreciation for me right here so yeah for sure and i i just am completely unfamiliar with her and so i like i've never seen her in anything else and so i like didn't have any like um any grounds or anything to like sort of base base things on yeah i thought it was i thought it was cool and it, it was cool that they come from an acting family and like their dad i believe was an actor now, um, Tim Daly's son's an actor, and I think they have like nieces and nephews that are actors. So they're they're an acting family. That's kind of cool. Nepotism. <laughs> Should we jump into news? Sure, let's do it. Okay, I got. I'll start us off uh, from the uh, pages of the Boston Globe. Headline: Foul play isn't found in autopsy of Maxwell. Signs point to heart failure, and this is about Robert Maxwell. And if you've been following the Epstein case over the last several years, you'll you would know the name Ghislaine Maxwell. And this is her father. He was a media magnate, and uh, this story is chronicling how he fell off the boat and died. And um, it details how they found no wrongdoing, but he had a he had a a bruise on the back of his head and drowned naked in the ocean, even though his yacht was like had rails that were impossible to fall over. And he was an excellent swimmer. The thought on this kind of through the years is that he was uh, murdered either, you know, because of his murky business dealings or it's been rumored and written by, um, from people like Seymour Hirsch that he was, uh, perhaps a, a Mossad agent of some sort, but he, uh, the name of his boat was the Lady Ghislaine, which is interesting. Okay. And, wow. And, yeah. 
So he was, I mean, he was likely murdered, but this article uh, does touch upon how, you know, some people think it might have something to do with the Mossad, but uh, it follows the the general consensus of the day from the mainstream that, you know, it was probably an accident. He fell and hit his head and drowned. But this guy was like, you know, think of Rupert, Rupert Murdoch. Um, uh, Robert Maxwell was kind of of that ilk. And okay. Him and Rupert Murdoch were actually kind of rivals. And interestingly, the Lady Ghislaine boat is now owned by Anna Murdoch, Rupert's ex-wife. Okay. And for any of our listeners that don't know what the Mossad is? Uh, Oh, yeah. That's the kind of like the Israeli secret secret agency. Um, All right. Well, I'm I'm over in the Nantucket and Mirror. And um, as we mentioned, I think in the previous episode, the perfect storm just happened. The the storm that the movie The Perfect Storm is based on, and it caused Mm -hmm. a, a lot of damage to the island. I actually don't know the the exact number but we have voices of nantucket on page 3a (laughs) and i just want to read some of the quotes from people what was the wildest thing you saw during the storm annie dooley restaurant (laughs) co-owner i was hiding out in mattakit in the dark there was no flooding in the house the west ender had no damage we're probably the only people on nantucket who had flood insurance and didn't need it I love that. That's the wildest thing she saw. Yeah. Chris Emery, merchant. The finessed parking lot before the closing. I was parked in the lot. It was the traffic I was worried about. Everybody was trying to get last second groceries. It was deadly. Deadly, huh? Yeah. Fighting over a, fighting over a can of Campbell's. <laughs> and then Carolyn Thayer, housewife. People rowing to the White Elephant Hotel along the street. They weren't even paddling. They were actually rowing. <laughs> and can you empathize with these folks, being that you just survived a, a major a major hurricane? Hurricane 2023. <laughs> In the middle of a hurricane hitting Southern California, we experienced a very gentle, soft, rolling earthquake. That was very bizarre. Yeah, like it's it's not fair. <laughs> What's not fair? You grow up in Los Angeles, you know that you get earthquakes mm-hmm. and you get fires, you know. But like, um, earthquakes are they're scary. There's like the natural disaster that that hits our area, and and you know when you're playing uh, Sim City on like a medium difficulty level, you get like basically one type of natural disaster, and for us, it's earthquakes. The East Coast gets hurricanes and the Midwest gets tornadoes, but neither of those places experiences earthquakes. So it's not fair for us to get to now suddenly get, we got a tornado last year and we got a hurricane this year. Mm-hmm. Turn down the difficulty. <laughs> yeah, you didn't, you didn't sign up for hurricanes. No. There was most of the articles in the Nantucket Inquirer Mirror were having to do with the uh, hurricane and disaster. And so I pulled this article, Bush Declares Island Disaster Area, Federal Aid Available. This was written by Hobson Woodward, this staff writer, who we hear from ever so often. Basically, uh, President George Bush declared Nantucket a federal disaster area, and uh, which opened up a, the availability of a lot of aid to the islanders. And, um, 
and it, the island was toured by U.S. Representative Gary Studs, who pushed for disaster relief in the wake of this hurricane, named Hurricane Bob. And Studs said, it was awesome. It's so mind-boggling when you realize the force of it and the power of it and the range of it. No one can remember anything like it. There is no doubt about the impact on the island. We will move heaven and earth to get things moving. I normally welcome any excuse to come to Nantucket, but I don't want another like this for a long time. And uh, yeah, it just kind of brought to mind, you know, we recently had uh, fires in Hawaii, another island, uh, and big disaster. And it's good, you know, you, it's good to see the people stepping in to provide aid and, uh, is it ever enough? I don't know. It kind of, you know, this recent disaster in Hawaii, I think it, I think it kind of sucks. I think, I think the response is pretty pathetic and not, uh, not what the occasion calls for. Um, it does suck. I don't know if you're, if you're going to choose any letters, but I'll choose this letter. <laughs> trash bag sticker will mean trash on moors. I'm just going to, yeah. I haven't read this yet, so I'm just going to choose the voice. To the editor, I am very concerned with the decision by the superintendent of public works, Jeff Willett, to sticker every trash bag. I'm afraid this type of program will cause people to leave bags of garbage all over the island, i.e. public trash cans at the wharves in town and at the beaches. Also, the entrance gates of the landfill and remote areas around the island will become ideal places to leave free trash bags. I am also afraid having to buy stickers will cause lines at the landfill. Checking each and every trash bag for stickers will also cause lines. These lines will discourage people from buying stickers and disposing of their trash in the proper manner. I agree that something needs to be done to charge people more fairly. I would like to suggest that residents be billed as they were last year. I would also suggest that commercial businesses be billed at different types of rates, i.e. an office uses less space at the landfill compared to a restaurant or retail store. Our family feels strongly about recycling, and I know that recycling helps reduce the quantity of trash. However, I don't want to see our island trashed by those who don't want to bother with stickers. There will be garbage everywhere. <laughs> Linda Halsh Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and you know how right she was. Cause everyone knows Nantucket now as the, the trash Island. <laughs> Is it? No, no. I, <laughs> no, just, I, know. I yeah. love a brain like that, that just spins out into the like most wild and complicated disaster scenario for something fairly innocuous. <laughs> oh yes. I wonder, um, yeah, like, so I guess at one point you would have to put stickers onto your trash? Yeah, sure. Why that's, not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. A minor inconvenience that I, I'm sure, especially during a hurricane, wouldn't make me, like, spin out to writing a huge letter to the editor. Yeah. <laughs> Just shut up and put the sticker on your trash, lady. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'll, have, I'll hop back, back to the Boston Globe. I feel like ping-ponging today. Uh, this article, Rep O'Leary reportedly threatened to kill himself. Uh, this is written by Frank Phillips and Peter J. Howe, Globe staff. Just before he fled the state last week, represent, Representative Timothy F. O'Leary, a, not that Timothy F. O'Leary you're thinking about, but 
A different Timothy F. O'Leary, a Melrose Democrat, left a note in which he admitted some wrongdoing in his financial dealings and threatened to take his own life, sources said yesterday. So he left a note and skedaddled town. And skipping ahead, yesterday his wife Patricia made a tearful plea for him to return home. If he's somewhere he can read this, we want to tell him, please come home, because everything is going to be fine. He doesn't have to worry about the things he's worried about. So state police this week issued a nationwide bulletin for O'Leary, a third-term Democrat and the second-ranking member of the House Ways and Means Committee. He has been tracked to Pennsylvania, Maine, and New Hampshire. And then they just have an illustration of the United States with a little dotted line going around. No, they don't. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but basically, like this is animated too. <laughs> yeah. uh, basically, this dude, like he got into some shady dealings and uh, embezzled and lost a bunch of money and freaked out. And uh, we know now that he like went on a cross country trip to California and started driving around, driving back home. And at some point, he says he contemplated suicide and wrote a suicide note, but he didn't. And um, I read an article that I'm going to fail to cite here because I forgot to write down who wrote it. But I read an interview with him years later where, you know, he he basically finally returned home. he and he was investigated for diverting campaign funds and embezzling his legal clients money and uh he uh so and he ran away for 10 days after writing that suicide note and he drove back kind of turned himself in and he got a light little slap on the hand and he served uh 1 year at a place called the Balerica House of Corrections and he mm-hmm. was and he was a uh, free back on the streets in 1992 and from there he um left politics he went out on to work in the mental health field and then he became a self-published author and you can oh, uh, you wonderful could, you could pick up some of his books on Amazon yeah yes. one of his books is is like a fictionalized version of this whole escapade Cool. Okay. That's great. And he shares a name with Timothy Leary. He's O'Leary though, right? uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. He's Timothy F. O'Leary. And then there's Timothy F. Leary. So yes. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if like in his self-published account of like what happened, he's getting like getting laid in every town that he stops in. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then another beautiful woman approached me and I said, I am sorry. I am already with a beautiful woman tonight. But she said, well, why not be with two of them? (laughs) And I said, well, okay. (laughs) My, my favorite book my favorite book series is the jack reacher like i mean i've read a lot of books over my lifetime but in mm-hmm. the past couple Brag. of years yeah 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 i've read uh a lot yes. but um i'm like i like i like to always be in the middle of a book but lately it's just been like jack reacher and these are like just very pulpy he's you know like you've know the movie or the tv show i'm familiar with them i haven't watched any of them yet i've been meaning to in the books, he's like six five, six six. This this like hulking mass of like m- like former military police guy that just kind of drifts from town to town, and he just always encounters a random problem, you know that doesn't really involve him. But then he kind of gets involved, and 
um, you know, kicks a lot of ass, <laughs> gets laid, uh-huh. and then and then at the end of the book, it just kind of moves on to the next town. <laughs> it's it's fucking wonderful. They're so much fun to read. Yeah. They're really they're really fun. I'll pick one up. And is is the character Jack Reacher kind of like um a a stand-in for the author? Um, I think probably to some extent, yeah, because I think the author is also like a really tall ex-military guy. Yeah, yeah. But he's although he's British and Jack Reacher is an is like a an American army. Okay. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. And then like yeah, they made two movies starring Tom Cruise who is like famously short. But I think that Tom Cruise does a really great job of just kind of capturing the blind confidence of mm-hmm, this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I love any. I, I feel like I probably said this on this this podcast before, but I love any like show or movie where somebody is like, "I'm going to punch you in the shoulder and then kick you in the knee and then whatever," like says, and then he does exactly those things yes. in that order. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like Jack Reacher, the movie does that. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this that's the best. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so back to the. Uh, uh, inquire mirror. I'm going to grab this just because we've discussed this before. Half and half. News notes. Mm-hmm. Half and half. The 1990 U.S. Census figures are in, and they show one thing. Nantucket is a well-balanced community. The 6,012 population of the island is about almost exactly between 3,003 men and 3,009 women. The median age of island residents is 35 and a half years. There are 5,787 people who call themselves white, 151 black, 5 Indian, Eskimo, or Aleut, 18 Asian or Pacific Islander, and 51 other. Downtown is home to 3,069 people. The island is one of the most sparsely populated uh, counties in the region. Nantucket covers 123.8 square miles and has 126 people per square mile. Per square mile. This is compared to 112 per square mile on Martha's Vineyard, 472 per square mile in Barnstable, and 11,349 in Boston. The island has 7,021 housing units. Only 2,597 are listed as occupied, while 3,560 pi- sorry, while 3,568 <laughs> are described as summer homes summer homes summer single, people yes single women had 191 of the year round households yeah so not very diverse uh racially i guess or yeah what's the ethnically yeah what's, what's the right term for that it's not very you could just say it's not very diverse it is diverse uh, gender wise well yeah it's, it's almost yeah, divided yeah. half and half Mm-hmm. There's like, but, hey, hey, men, you know, there's six, there's six more women for you out there. So, I also love that that the five, uh, Indian Eskimo or Aleut, Aleut. Um, I think that that like Indian, you would say Native American, right? Eskimo, you would say Inuit, uh, Inuit, yeah. And I don't, I'm Aleut. I don't know if Aleut's wrong or right, and I, uh, I would not be confident. And using that term, yeah. The way you kind of scared me over there, Emerson, with that fly swatter your wheel. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> the like... fly. <laughs> I'm waiting for the fly to like reappear. Yeah, you're reminding me of the worst episode of Breaking Bad. Oh, 
<laughs> Emerson has a fly swatter and he's just like looking all around. The one where an elderly woman shows up and uh, <laughs> she charms his brother. No. Yeah, I don't. No. no. Of course, yeah. Well, um, cool. You've, you have now pulled two of the same articles as me. So I'm going to run. Oh, out. sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry. We should, we should really coordinate these things. Usually it works out pretty well, but. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you can steal the liquor store one. No, 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 no. I that one, I mean, honestly, I was going to grab that one, but that one actually wasn't as interesting as I hoped it would be. The last article I pulled, mm-hmm. uh, it's from the Boston Globe. Headline, two-day strike ends in South Africa. I'll just read the whole thing here. It's rather short. It's a blur news blurb, really. Millions mm-hmm. of blacks returned to work following a two-day strike that was one of the most effective mass actions ever by anti-apartheid groups. The strike, which shut down large parts of the economy, is expected to boost the confidence of black organizations, which had been on the defensive about how to respond to the reforms undertaken by President F.W. de Klerk. The Labor Monitoring Group, an independent organization, estimated that 3.7 million workers, or 58% of the country's labor force, took part in the strike. At least 23 people died in violence related to the strike. So I just I thought this was just a cool ca- encapsulation of that moment in time because we know that uh, apartheid ended a few years later and you know in this country we got we got um strikes going on that are get catching a lot of news and that in you know, there's an ups it's, there's it seems like there's an upswing in labor organizing uh like we haven't seen in decades here and the flip side of that is you get a lot of people saying like things like strikes just don't work. And that just imagining 3.7 million people striking at once to me is, is just really uh, heartening and exciting and cool. And it just makes me think like if something, if like a, a major strike movement were to happen, like a general strike happened in this country or other places around the world, uh, you know that this undoubtedly played a pivotal role in ending apartheid, and and what what could we do with like that kind of organizing here? So it's amazing. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. I love also, um, like, because you know we're we're in the middle of like WGA and SAG strikes down here in Los Angeles, and um, they like the studios have been doing like petty little things, like Universal um, cut. They like trimmed the tree so that it wouldn't be shade for people that were like marching on the sidewalk outside of their their place, and then they also um, started construction on like these sidewalks outside of like the, I think like the west facing uh, area, basically like basically removing uh, access to the to the sidewalk, and so the strikers just uh, marched in the street and they shut down traffic on Lancashire a few weeks ago, and I was like, yes. Fuck yes, that's awesome. Please do more of that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 100% on on the striker side. Um and I hope that the studios pay for their fucking shittiness. Here here. The last thing I was going to grab was something from Names and Faces cuz I always love finding kind of just like, you know, pop culture news of the day thing. Jocks and Capers. On November 14th, Boston Garden will uh enshrine Sonia Heaney. 
Bill Russell, and Aerosmith in its Hall of Fame. <laughs> Other inductees include Harry Sinden, Boxing's Rip Valenti, and former garden owner Walter Brown. Not to be one-upped, Rob Cousy will lend his swagger and flash to the men's bar- har- haberdashery department of Philines tomorrow at noon. As part of a profit-making venture, Cousy will introduce a card collection celebrating his career. Packets of 25 cards will go on sale for $25 at the downtown crossing store. Setting his rookie card, a woman blurted, He's got the hairiest legs I've ever seen! <laughs> yes, but can he sassoon his kneecaps? An uncomprehending new bio by Christopher Anderson <laughs> offers this tabloid shocker. Madonna was a straight A student. Also, when Junior, uh, also when Junior brought Madonna home to meet his mom, a former first lady took umbrage. First impressions weren't helped by the singer's Marilyn Monroe outfit. How thoughtful! No wonder Junior had trouble passing that bar exam. Who's Junior? I don't. Was Madonna I, like? A lot of that, she, what everything you just said, I I don't know if my brain's fried, but almost none of that made sense to me. <laughs> yeah, like the Boston Garden uh, yeah. was inducting like uh, various sports stars and local bands into their personal <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> Wait, and what is? How does Feline's the the store we see advertised in the paper fit into it? Uh, so apparently, at Feline's, um, somebody. Uh, Bob Cousy, who I think is like a, an old basketball player, yeah. um, and he's going to like just he's going to show up at uh to the men's section to the men's haberdashery department, um, to introduce like a collection of twenty five like playing cards. Oh, good. Okay, and then Madonna figured in there somehow. She's like dating someone named Junior or something. Christopher Anderson. Oh. Uh, okay. So, by the way, if you go to page, oh my god! Hold on, let me Ooh. let me pull my copy of uh, Madonna's sex book off my shelf here. Oh yeah, page twenty-seven. There's a uh, Christopher Anderson Jr.'s uh, big dick swinging around, and she has and she has those uh those pointy boobs in his face. Is that right? Yeah, the the I'm looking at it right now. She's got her cone boobs uh in Christopher Jr.'s face. <laughs> um if you go to page 13 of the Boston Globe, do you have it you have that open or is no, that, I don't. You, oh, okay. I don't have it open. All right, all right, cuz it has um an, an advertisement. Bob Cousy cards are here. The the Coos introduces his Bob Cousy card collection preview edition tomorrow in our Boston store, and it's a Feline's ad, okay. and it's a bunch of shots of this like old white. I think he must have been. He is a Celtic. This old old basketball player, Bob Cousy. The Coos. The Coos. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Oh, John F. Kennedy Jr. Oh, okay. That okay. I get that. Yes, that makes more sense. Okay. Oh, JFK Jr. Yeah, the one yeah, who JFK died Jr. in the plane crash. Yeah, that she she was flying and she parachuted out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And she killed him. Yeah, she killed him. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But they uh, they covered it up. They said it was uh, uh, just an accident. Yeah. Well, th- I mean, this isn't doesn't work for an audio podcast, but I do, You know, I um, I saw on the, like the last pages of the Nantucket Enquirer Mirror, there was a really cool picture of Nantucket Island, like an illustration 
with a fish mm-hmm. and shellfish guide and showing you various yes. parts of the island where you can get little, like where you could catch fish and shellfish. It shows you where it shows you the store where Roy bought the clam chowder at. And, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, I like the, there's a little illustration of like a, a flying baby blowing the wind to show you which way the wind blows. I thought that was cute. Oh <laughs> yes. I always love those. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that was like such a weirdly common thing, kind of in old maps. Yeah, let's just let's just throw a, baby. a flying baby blowing some wind. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, any any anyone listening who has their uh, archives of Nantucket Inquirer and Mirror um, is sitting in front of you. Pull up this picture; it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It's all free. Yeah, if you just search. Um, yeah. I guess we could like post the website sometime. I mean, it's that'd be good of us to do that. Yeah, I think it's like Nantucket Athenium. Yes, and uh, yeah. and and there's a stamp on this uh, illustration, alerting us to the fact that it was uh, drawn or sponsored or paid for by the Harbor Fuel Oil Corporation. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um. Yeah, and the only thing else I wanted to note for this week was the number one movie and the number one song to take us back to that time, yes. November mm, 7th. Take me take me back. Mm-hmm. All right. The number one movie. Now, this was a movie that had me fleeing my friend Josh's overnight uh, sleepover birthday party when they popped in the VHS because I was utterly spooked in the first five minutes of watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the people under the stairs? Oh, I've never seen that one. Yeah, that one's that was like a, a famous, scary one from when I was a kid, for sure. Yeah, I've I've since seen it, but I used to be a little wussy when it came to horror movies. All right, fair enough. I didn't really get into them until my late teens, and their number one song was "Cream" by Prince. I don't know if I know how that one goes. I'm sure if I heard it, I would. Uh... It's a jam, but it's not an earworm. Like I went back and listened to it um, just yesterday, and I cannot, I couldn't sing it for you now. I don't, don't recall the melody. Does it go, Vicky Vale, Vic, Vic, Vicky Vale? Yes, that's the one. Batman. No, but it's like they have a music video for it. It's the one with all the women dancing in it. So if you're familiar with that particular Prince music video, it's that one. I am not, unless it's on like the, the Michelle Gondry <laughs> collection. <laughs> no, it's not on that one, Emerson. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. So should we should we jump into the episode then? Yeah. Did you get the fly yet? Though I gotta know. I did not get the fly. No. Okay. And he's he's he might reappear. A, here and there. Yeah. So if anyone wonders why Emerson's audio is kind of going in and out, he's a little off axis when he's swinging at the fly. I got stung by a bee also. I, I forgot to mention uh, last weekend. Oh, I'm so sorry. How, how are you recovering? I mean, whatever. I, I'm not allergic and I've been stung by bees a lot my, my whole life. But it it sucked because like it, it was close, you know, it was like on, I was like, you know, sitting in, a, in like a low chair and it was like on the sand near my foot. And I was like, well, you know, he can, he can hang out. I don't, I don't mind bees hanging out. And then he like flew and like landed on my, on my arm. And I was like, all right, well give him a minute, you know, to like lose interest. Cause I don't know what he was like, what he was interested in. Um, but he like kept on 
kept on just kind of hanging out and like the people around me were getting like more agitated um you know like more nervous for me and i was like i'm not allergic i just don't like being stung because it, it it does hurt and then finally like um this woman was like well you want to help me and so in like the worstly coordinated possible method she like tried to like knock it off my arm with the flip-flop but like it really just kind of like she just kind of slapped my arm with the flip-flop and, okay. anchor, and anchored the bee <laughs> and then i was like trying to like brush him off in the sand and like, i was like plunging my arm into the sand and like like rub it around you know thinking that Ooh. that would get the bee off and he he kept fucking hanging on and he was just like stinging me and um when i finally like got him off his stinger was stuck in so i like i just did a quick pinch Okay. Kind of sque- kind of squeezed it. I I don't know if there was like, even any poison really in there. Um, people, somebody was like, "You should suck suck out suck it out." And I was like, "I'm not allergic. It's not that big of a deal." You're kind of a badass. It's kind of sore for like. Um, I mean, honestly, if you saw me, I would not look like a badass. I look like a, like a big wussy trying to like, you know, panic trying to get this thing off my arm. But. <laughs> Smacked with a flip flop, throwing your arm in the sand. I I like bees too. I like I I encourage them to exist. I just don't want them singing me. And I I played that fully the wrong way. I don't I don't know. In the future, there's probably like a, a better way to do it. Let's just get up and walk away slowly before it stings you. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. That works. Yeah, and I was at the Hollywood Bowl on Monday um, to see Fleet Foxes in My Morning Jacket, which is a cool show. And um, there was like a bee harassing a couple like five or six rows up ahead of me. And I was like, started to get like a little bit nervous. I was like, oh, I hope that they, they don't like send the bee back to me somehow. Yeah, most people don't realize bees don't really want to sting you. You can just walk away from them. Yeah, it is one and done for them. Uh, because like once they sting you, that they lose their stinger. And I think that's pretty much kind of the end of it for them. They got a gun with one bullet in it. Yes, yeah, you're right. And I don't know if that bee was the bee that stung me, if he was like agitated already or if he like I don't know. Maybe I could have offered him some water in these trying times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Should we talk about this episode of Wings? Or do you yeah, want to take a break I, and kill the fly or I don't see him currently. Okay. I love this cold open. <laughs> this I think this was such a good cold open. We start off and we have um, passengers on a plane. One of the passengers is reading um, a newspaper and like the other passengers kind of start being like, where is this pilot? You know, like we got to get out of here. We got to get moving. The newspaper dips and it's uh, (laughs) Brian (laughs) sitting in the passenger seat. And he's, uh, yeah, like one of the guys says, this is ridiculous. We've been sitting here for 10 minutes. And Brian says, well, I for one am outraged. (laughs) I don't know you guys, but I got to get to Boston. And he basically gets into the pilot seat and he starts up the plane and like other passengers are like starts panicking. Yeah. And it just feels like perfect. That this is like what I love in a cold open where it just kind of captures the essence of Brian's energy. Yeah, and it's and uh Stephen Weber is kind of making a thing of now we're now we're getting uh reveals of him lowering a newspaper. In multiple yeah. episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. For different comedic purposes. Oh, but my God. We're calling it a newspaper, but it looked a lot more like a comic book. And I was struggling to read the title of it. It looked like it was called Droolies. Did you get a look at that comic? 
I saw Drulies, but that I saw that on the back cover. Yeah, but that was the only so, thing that looked like a title. Yeah. I was trying to figure that out myself as well because like, yeah, something like Drulies. Yeah, honestly, thought, it, it looked like a comic, but it also looked like something that like and someone just collaged together in 10 minutes. I yeah, like once uh once Paramount releases the HD version, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll know. And also, I mean, we this is a repeat tie, right? That he's wearing in this one. Oh yeah, so Brian's tie report. It's that feathery greenish tie. Yes. But I just want to say Brian looks fucking great this episode. So many good fits in this one. Yeah, like Mimsy, uh, when she uh, dolls him up, he just looks great. (laughs) He looks nice. Oh my God. Merely gifts from my Mimsy. And yeah. <laughs> so, but the, he, this t- he does don this tie, and then later he dons the uh, 49er tie again. Yep, the 49 tie. With the boot. Yeah, that's when he's uh, kind of back to, back to normal B. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going to give this uh, cold open four stripes. I'm going to go four stripes. I really like this. Yeah. I love it, too, because like it doesn't... It doesn't like have any kind of resolution. It just sort of you end with like these passengers panicking while yes. Brian, <laughs> you know, he makes he makes a joke about like you know how hard could it be to fly one of these things? Ah, uh, hey, he gets it started. What do you know? Got lucky the first try. <laughs> and he's like, "Who says you need a pilot's license? Hell, they took my driver's license away from me, and I still drive." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I hope he kept that joke running all the way to Boston too. Oh my god. Yeah, just these guys like sweating buckets. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Four stripes. Cool. Cool. Then we get into the show. Scene 1 opens in the terminal and we learn mm-hmm. that Helen has passed the real estate exam. So, I guess I guess Helen is, you know, looking for a new third career. Mhm. She's talking to Faye. Mm-hmm. Faye wants help from Helen to find a new senior center. What do they say? Like the, their their senior organization, a senior group. Uh, we're a deserving organization that combats the attitude that the elderly have outlived their usefulness. And then Helen asks, "What's wrong with the building you're in now?" Oh, it's too old. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was a really funny joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like you know there we do have like a touch of of. Of like age as a theme, yes. Because like like later, like Mimsy comes. Okay, yeah. So Brian comes in from a flight, I believe, and he says, says something about the seven twenty seven landing on the runway, and he's like, "That's that's not a commercial flight. That's someone's private plane." Mm. And we all know that a seven twenty seven is a plane, Boeing plane, and it's an American narrow body airliner that was developed and produced by Boeing Commercial Airplanes. Um, yeah, they built 1,832 of these things and, uh, it can carry 106 passengers in two classes over 2,250 nautical miles. Wow. Damn. Yeah. That's like, that's a heavy duty, duty piece of equipment. That's like a John Travolta. What does he fly? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think he flies anything he can get his hands on. If you, it's really kind of fun looking up, um, John Travolta's 
house. I think he lives <laughs> in, Flor- in Florida, but he like lives like his the, his backyard is basically um, an airport. Yeah, and he and he's got like access to his like. Oh yeah, so he um he's rated to he is rated to three different Boeing commercial plane types: seven forty seven, seven hundred seven, and seven thirty seven. I don't know if um what he currently flies. Oh, he's got like eleven different aircraft. Or no, he's sort of okay. Who cares? What kind of sorry? Sci- you got you got to have these facts at hand. What kind of Scientologist are you? Yeah, curses. <laughs> but um, so Roy uh, reveals to the gang that it's Mimsy's, and I'm f- totally forgetting her uh, full name here. But it's Mimsy's plane. It's uh, Mir. Her name is Miriam Borogroves, though she's known as Mimsy to the four hundred. And did you also have to look up four the four hundred? No, I didn't even bother. It's, it's, it's what is the four hundred? Um, the four hundred was a list of New York society during the Gilded Age, a group that was led by Caroline Shermerhorn Astor, mm-hmm. the Mrs. Astor, the Mrs. Astor for many years. After her death, her role in society was filled by three women. Anyway, I think it's just like like a 19th century like elite mm-hmm. the gilded and age kind of yeah and i think that maybe it, it continues on to this day or something but yeah and and roy explains uh that the 400 is uh, and mimsy is old family money one of the richest family in new england te- tech from new england uh they were in the textile business yeah and, and uh Brian and then he Roy says, My kind of people. And uh, Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh does Brian say her family makes polyester? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely I own some cool polyester pants back in the nineties. Do you ever have any cool polyester? I uh wore I had a lot of polyester rayon fifty fifty blend shirts with like the long collars and Oh yeah, was it because like the '90s was kind of the golden age for thrift stores? Yes, and like that was the prime time to pick up polyester shirts. I had a closet full of them, and like for a while, that was my style. I was rocking. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, isn't really awesome. I don't. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. I had these like gray, like gray golf pants that had this like almost like this like three inch thick band around, like. Definitely designed for somebody much older than me, but I thought that they looked cool. Yeah, and polyester is like a great fabric. It, it helps you sweat in any in temperature, you know, any environment. <laughs> okay. You know? Are you still using that one uh, <laughs> over in the Catskills? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's uh, something else I love about polyester. Is, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you... As as flexible as you get, uh, the material doesn't stretch. I don't know. And uh, Roy uh, teases Helen that maybe he can sell Mimsy a, a summer place. So the gang's getting primed now to meet Mimsy. And I like that they tie in that Roy is now a council member because when Mimsy enters, Roy fawns over her and welcomes her as a, a council member to the island. You know, yeah, and great moment here. Helen wants an introduction to Mimsy, and Brian offers to introduce her, and they kind of uh, saunter over. And Mimsy, Mimsy, there's someone here I'd like you to meet. And she says, "Oh, do I know you?" And he goes, "Oh, make that two people." <laughs> yeah, and you can just see his charm, just like <laughs> fucking 
glowing man like the, what what a charming man <laughs> yeah he and you know he does he brings on the charm and she is immediately into him you know i thought she had a great joke about when she learns his name or she find she likes his name but she says unless it's spelt with a y because a uh, brian with a y is just too precious <laughs> And then she like that. That was one of, the, one of the things that that drove me nuts. I think through our reviewing, Brian with an eye, Brian with an eye. Yeah, yeah. Why? 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 That? That's something I've heard other people say. Uh, that they don't like Brian with a Y. What's that all about? No idea. Yeah, I don't. I've never. I've never, I've never personally heard it before. Oh, I, I, yeah. See, it's something I've I've heard often, and I don't quite understand it. But huh? How interesting. Yeah, and is that why you is that why you named your son Bre- Brian with an I with a Y? <laughs> yeah, with two Y's oh, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The um, Ni- Nico and Wyco. <laughs> so you're you're not liking this accent, but she had. I was like, I immediately was like into her character because she has that throwback, fake mid Atlantic accent and. Yeah, it felt too for me. It just didn't work in the context of the show, personally, which is my own thing. I, mm. I, uh, I, I realized that, like, you know, I'm probably like, uh, as so- somebody accused me, my opinion is probably wrong. <laughs> but <laughs> so I, a friend of a friend was like talking about seeing Taylor Swift, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I, I don't like really love her or like dislike her. She's she's got some cool songs, and he was like. You're wrong, man. She's all amazing. And I was like, you're t- are you telling me that my opinion is wrong? <laughs> By the way, I got the ply. Oh, thank God. I've been watching this saga like for the last, I don't know how long. Emerson <laughs> bobbing and weaving around the room, swinging at a fly. And now wiping the fly guts off my computer screen. Sorry. That's so gross. So that's the uh, first murder of this episode of Wings Nuts. Only murders in the building. Yeah. And yeah, this yeah. um scene gets pretty horny. They're uh they're flirting with each other. Brian offers to help Mimsy settle into her t- her hotel. Uh, she asks she asks him to help her settle in, and he goes, "Uh, it's not that hard, you know. You just oh uh, yeah, you just toss the free soap in your purse, dance around in the complimentary shower cap, and then nap till happy hour." And then she says, "Um, yeah." She says, "You know, oh yeah." She's basically like like saying that she loves he's got a sense of humor and she says i'm very pleased to meet you brian with an eye you know my friends have accused me of forgetting how to laugh you have to teach me again and then brian says do you, do you have the line <laughs> he, uh, from my memory he says something like well yes but it may involve some light nudity and feathers yes he says well okay but it may involve feathers and some nudity <laughs> and then she says Yes, it may of that. And then he makes a great face as oh, he exits with her. I wrote that down. He ha- has the best face on. Yeah, like, like oh, well, here we go. <laughs> yeah, she exits first and he looks back at the gang like with this knowing, like, suave glance. <laughs> yes. He, he knows the score immediately and is playing into it. And I wrote Brian's face as he follows her out, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Yes. I will say that like, I love this episode and I love her because Brian, she lets Brian be so fucking funny. Yeah. Yes. And she plays like this, you know, she's playing a necessary character. She's, 
I mean, she's kind of playing the the Tim Daly in a sense, mm-hmm. like that. You know, the straight woman that. Although she's playing a very like animated, I don't know. What I'm, she's what I'm she's about. playing it super broad, like a caricature yes. almost. And so we do that that weird thing that happens in a lot of Wings episodes where mm. we cut to the next scene and we establish that like two weeks have passed. Yes. <laughs> and Joe comes in. It's in the terminal later, and Joe comes in flummoxed. Like, anyone know where Brian is? And Roy, yeah, Roy says, "Anyone not know where Brian is?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then Lil says, uh, yes, me. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian's just been traipsing around with, Wim- with Mimsy for about two weeks. <laughs> yeah. By the way, so in terms of Lil in this episode, I really liked that line. Mm-hmm. Does, anybody not, does anybody not know where Mimsy is? Um, and he says, yes, me. That one I thought was great. Mm-hmm. The previous sort of exchange where um where like Lowell's asking who the 400 are and Roy says something like the the 400 people that won't cross the street to spit on you or something like that yeah and Lowell says something like oh I'm pretty sure there's more than 400 I thought that was pretty funny mm-hmm. but then later I thought that they really didn't didn't work it out well when well I mean we can wait, wait till we get to it but I feel like there's like three levels of like oil jokes kind of working yes. and not working on different levels. Yeah. Now, are you talking about the end where he he says uh, Mimsy didn't give him diddly, or he says no, oh, I'm was, with you, Brian? Okay, because I thought that was a kind of a echoed this earlier moment, and I thought it was great when uh, later on Brian he says to Brian, "I'm with you, Brian. Uh, I didn't I didn't get diddly from Mimsy." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so two weeks have passed, and um, yeah, so Joe is like, I think that he, well, also we get to see Brian. So Joe Joe is like, <laughs> whatever, complaining that his brother's spending too much time with Mimsy. Yeah. And then um, Brian comes in, and like, he's just like dressed up like he should be like... <laughs> Like it's drinking, so good drinking rum in Panama or something yeah, it's like, like that. Brown a brown suit with like a purple shirt under it, a brown fedora, and a big ass uh, silk scarf. <laughs> and like, is it, isn't he like wearing a jacket that's like draped over his shoulders? Yeah, like yeah. Not even... not, arms aren't going through it. He is prim the fuck out. And that hat, that hat is great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we missed a uh, great joke from Antonio when, before Brian enters. Oh, yes. <laughs> Joe, in Italy, we have a saying for when a man with a not so much money is with a woman with a lots of money. Way to go. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of working him in. This, I mean, this episode is very Brian-centric. Yeah, yeah. And it feels like everybody else... Oh, and then I guess Joe plays a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And like your, the, your, your characters, like your um, Antonio's and Lowell's, are just kind of... Uh, the wallpaper in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Brian comes in. Uh, they're like, "What are you wearing?" He's merely gifts from my Mimsy. I only wish I could show you my embroidered underwear. Hey, what the hell? And he goes and he pulls his <laughs> pants down and he says, "We see it all." He says, "Holding." Yeah. Mimsy, what have I done to deserve another gift? Oh yes, that's right. I remember. 
<laughs> yes. And like, oh my God, their exchange. I live to give pleasure, cara mia. And I live to receive it, Fasha Bella. And she says, sometimes you give me pleasure in a thousand ways. <laughs> Only and a thousand? He, uh, even I have off days. Yeah. He says, well, everyone has off days. His delivery of that line is so fucking funny. I like this scene too, because he's slipping into kind of the same mid-Atlantic accent she's using. And it's like, they're they're sharing the same wavelength almost. Mm-hmm. And I really like just how everyone else in the crew, Helen, Faye, Roy, are also fawning over M- Mimsy. Like mm-hmm. uh, Helen runs over with a with a hot fudge sundae for Mimsy. Uh, she imme- Mimsy immediately puts her cigarette out in it, and Helen runs back away. You know. Yes. Yeah. She like carries the sundae away. That was so funny. And um, you know, Faye doesn't say much, but she's like has these delighted looks at Mimsy. She's, she's doing a, some great uh, face work, just like looking on at Brian and uh, Mimsy delightedly. Mimsy pulls out a cigarette and, and Brian um, obediently like has a lighter ready to light, light mm-hmm. the cigarette for her. And someone like compliments the lighter and he's, he's like, you don't smoke. No, but I light. <laughs> and then she, uh, Mimsy announces that she's got a, an even better lighter in a little in a pretty little red package outside. You'll find a card on it. Now be a good boy. Run along. <laughs> so Brian disappears, and 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 Joe is throughout the scene is the only one who's like distressed and unimpressed by Mimsy. Yes, yeah, and Mimsy has to uh, run to take a call. She wants to hurry up the. We, we she reveals that she's going to be buying a house from Helen, going to be paying for a municipal building for uh, Roy, for the city of Nantucket, uh, for, um, and then also paying for a senior center for Faye. And she's going to r- run along to uh, use a phone for a long-distance call. And uh, so she exits to uh, Joe's office. Yes. Um, and she goes to Joe's office, and then Joe goes into the hangar, Mm-hmm. And then Brian comes <laughs> comes in, um, and he crashes into Joe's office again, yeah. killing killing Mimsy. Uh-huh. And this is this is like the fourth time this season that they've crashed into his fucking office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Helen, he's, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah. He comes speeding in because Helen is like gets into it with Joe. She's Helen is saying that Joe is just jealous, but. Uh, Joe says, I happen to know my brother and deep down he, he is ashamed. And that's when Brian enters with a yee-haw <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and he drives a, a portion to the hangar. Yeah. And he says that the, this is the red package that held the lighter and he holds out like a car lighter. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, John Travolta does own a Boeing 727. Really? Okay. Bought it, yeah, bought yeah, it yeah. off of Mimsy. And oh yeah. So this is, this is like the, uh, because I think Helen runs out, and then Lowell comes running in, <laughs> and this is this is the joke that didn't quite work for me. Okay, Lowell and Antonio enter. Wow, Helen told me about it, Brian, but I sure didn't believe it. Great hat, yeah. And I feel like I I get what they're doing, and it, it just didn't quite work for me. That's true. And Antonio and Lowell pretty much enter and exit quickly, just to rattle off two quick jokes uh antonio's joke worked better for me yeah driving an automobile like this is like making love to a ravishingly beautiful woman uh why is that 
I've never done either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I liked Joe calling Brian a gigolo. Like a boy toy with a boy toy toy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then um, Mimsy pops out of Joe's office and says, Brian, it's time for Sir Fitzhugh Agincourt to have his walk. Brian, Joe's like, who? Oh, it's her dog. Uh, in a minute, Mimsy. I'm just talking to Joe, okay? Oh, I think you better do it now, Brian. You know how Fitzy gets when he doesn't have walkies. Mm-hmm. And he's like, right, right, right. Right away, Missy. And he kind of like does kind of jog off sort of obediently mm-hmm. and re-enters with like the, this great fucking moment. <laughs> it's like a, a greyhound, uh, I guess, dressed exactly like him. Yes, wearing like the fedora <laughs> and the coat. Which according to, I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but mm-hmm. according to um, IMDb trivia, um, the scene with Weber and, and the Greyhound dog dressed like Sherlock Holmes was stolen directly from A Man's Best Friend, 1962, where Bill Bixby shows up with a large dog, a Great Dane in his case, uh, dust decked out. Both dogs also wear a fedora. Mm-hmm. And A Man's Best Friend is an episode of... I've. I mentioned it earlier. I forget what the show is. Yeah. Um, did you find the screenshot from that show? I found the episode. Um, I tried to do a screenshot, but it you know it turned black. The Joey Bishop show. The Joey Bishop show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's like um, a lineage between the Joey Bishop show with 1962 and wings 30 years later. Yeah. Is that really like when you're, um, let's say paying homage to something like that Mm. and granted these wings and the Joey Bishop show weren't as chronologically as far apart in time as we are now from the Joey Bishop show. But do you think like the average viewer saw that as an homage or is that just a ripoff? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it is just a ripoff. I guess it depends on if there is, any like crossover i think between yes yes yeah the writers or the producers or something yeah yeah yeah. either way it's hilarious yeah i I mean i wonder if um if tyne daly was ever on that show i didn't see that in her imdb i don't she's not as old as she is presenting in this episode Yes, she is rather old presenting. (laughs) 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 yeah and that's that's one of the quotes that you read right the uh that she kind of chose to sort of age herself up yeah so that she could start playing like older roles uh, at a younger age yeah and that's i I mean something i liked about her personally is she kind of just had a very obviously very intelligent person and she had a strong sense of of who she is and yeah yeah i mean i would love to like i like the i like those quotes and um she seems like an interesting person just because i don't like her characters i mean i don't don't like her as an actor and I think I'm not supposed to, I think I'm supposed to not like her character also. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah, yes, she's, yes. It's, yeah. I think though also like her character, especially when she, in this scene we're about to talk about with Joe, she does possess a self-awareness of who she is and that sh- the character, she can manipulate people, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, she's not like an evil, you know, sometimes uh, in comedies, the uh, the rich asshole is presented as kind of a mustache twirling evil person. She's not necessarily that, you know, she's manipulative for sure. Um, but 
I don't know. I th- I kind of feel like she's having having fun with life, you know, kind of like the other rich rich globe trotting woman that Brian dated in a previous episode right. and almost married. Um, she's similar to to that character in a lot of ways, but more man- maniacally manipulative. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. And then we uh, come to Joe's office later on. Mm-hmm. And I think Mimsy's on the phone again and Joe comes in to confront her. Yeah. This is a really funny scene to me too. The, yeah. This, this When Joe Joe walks in and she kind of like brushes him off and then he like starts to leave. He's like, what, catches himself. Wait, no. <laughs> she mind fucks him. She does a big number on Joe, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, the, uh, the audience, uh, Joe wasn't critical of Mimsy because, dating Brian because of her age. It's kind of how she's manipulating him and she doesn't like what Joe, what Brian and others are turning into. And he makes that point to Mimsy, but Mm -hmm. she injects this thing about how, uh, she's an older woman dating a younger man. And, uh, she kind of changes the argument to, to present it as, you know, why can rich men date younger women? And, People think it's, you know, she, she turns it into a a gender issue, which really Mm -hmm. works for her argument and helps her kind of flip the script on Joe, totally mind fucking him. And he, he decelerates from like anger to kind of like, he's on the, um, what they call it in boxing. He's on his back feet, you know? What is this amazing double standard that fellows like you have about age? Age? Yes. When an older man dates a younger woman, well... It's all smug smiles, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you randy dog. But if a middle-aged woman dates a man a few years younger, if she has the audacity to show that she's still sexually alive, oh dear, different story. Ugly, suspect. Yeah, yeah. And to, it, it works to the point where Joe ends up lighting her cigarette and kind of being yeah. apologetic. But I love the moment when Mimsy starts teasing the offer of a new plane to Joe. Yes, yeah. And Joe just begins to grovel to kind of yes. <laughs> to make up ground with her, to uh, be deferential to her. And they just have this great uh, uh, tete-a-tete and rapport with each other to the point when uh, Joe Joe is like, oh, Mimsy, Mimsy, Mimsy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love when in um, consideration of like how he can win this back and get that plane from her. She kind of mm-hmm. hands him his cigarette to put it out, and he just like, in thought, starts smoking it. Yeah, yeah, that was a really funny. That's that's how the scene ends too, right? Yeah, uh, him not, just kind of like like hand on the hip, smoking a cigarette. Not quite, not quite, because okay. he's that's then he's like, oh, uh, Mimsy, I think we got off on the wrong foot here, and it's all my uh-huh. fault. And then he offers to accept the check just to show her how sorry he is. And, yes, <laughs> and then he um, puts the puts Mimsy's jacket on her, and th- they leave off there where he's she's going to give him the check, and he's going to be cool with her now, basically. And I like um, when she waits at the door, looking at it, and then he realizes, like, oh shit, I'm supposed to open it for her, and he opens the door for her. Yeah, this this scene just had a great conflict and turnaround. By by the end of the scene, she has him wrapped around her finger. Do we go from there to Brian? Um, it's um, sh- 
showing up two weeks later. I don't know. Yeah, it's like back in the terminal uh, later, like maybe the next day. I think uh, it's probably it probably is the next day, but I'm going to call it two weeks later. Two weeks later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I later. think it's Friday the thir- Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> Friday the thirteenth. So Mimsy's been there uh, three months now. Sound right? Yes. She's a summer people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Of course, summer people. Uh, although the sun, the summer's never quite done it for me. Yeah, Brian uh, comes in hangdogged. He's he's back in his old garb, like he's wearing. The, this is when he has a 49er tie. So mm-hmm. he's presenting as Brian now. Mm-hmm. And he reveals that he and Mimsy have parted ways. He told her off. He gave her the Porsche back. And he's happy. happily tells Joe that he listened to her. And Joe, you would have been proud. I really nailed her. And uh, now Joe's upset. Right, right. Because now he's not going to get his new plane. Yep, yep, yep. I also love. Uh, I mean, I I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but when uh, Joe's like, uh, unless you know, she feels that I deserve the check, even though um, I'm sure she would still want me to get my new plane, wouldn't you, MC? And she says, "Tell me something. Joe isn't short for Jose, is it? Uh, uh-uh, uh, why?" Because it's so much better with no way. <laughs> she just snatches the check back. Yeah. And Mimsy yeah, has entered the scene and I, she's adorned in all black now, like with a scarf, black scarf wrapped around her head, black glasses as if she's in mourning. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And Joe, for some reason, is just flashing the check around and she's able to grab it away from him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And she calls everyone to attention. She reveals that she's never coming back to Nantucket and she's pulling out all of her investments. So as she exits, everyone's pissed at Brian. She says, I'm going to go and find some little community that really needs my money, like Europe. (laughs) (laughs) And then does Brian, like when everybody everybody, kind of turns on him, does he go, oh, crowd turns ugly. Uh, Roy, you said pretty much the same. Yes. <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, and that's when and Lowell says, uh, "I'm with you, Brian." She didn't get me diddly. She she didn't give me dibbly. <laughs> dibbly. She didn't get me dibbly. Oh, I don't know dibbly. My I had a friend named Bo, and um, we used to like try to joke, make jokes about like Bo. Like if we got married, he'd be Bo Dibley. <laughs> oh my god! Hey, Bo, Bo Dibley, Dibley got me a diamond ring. Yeah, <laughs> Bo Dibley got me a diamond ring. Bounce, 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 bounce. And we would just try to like make make Bo don't know Dibley jokes. <laughs> Bo Dibley's a gunslinger. Hey, Bo Dibley D. Yeah, man, he has some great songs. Yes, and what a, what a noise! There's that kind of like junt to junt to junt to junt junt. Yeah, I have a a couple of his records, and I would say like ninety percent of his songs have Bo Diddley in the title of them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Every song is autobiographical about how awesome yeah. he is. It's so good. Hell yeah, he is awesome. <laughs> um, the the gang they want Brian to go crawling back to her. They're pissed at Brian. And he agrees. Mm-hmm. He says, "Okay, fine, I'll do it." And at the as he's exiting to go catch her at her plane, he says, "On your heads, be it." But he says, "Yeah, I mean, th- the whole line is so funny." He might be ready to let you off the hook, but we are not. You can't do this to us. What do you want me to do? You want me to go crawling back to that woman on my belly? Is that what you want me to do? You get there faster if you run. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, fine. I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll let her keep me. Yeah, buy me expensive gifts, take me to all the best hotels, make wild, erotic love to me on perfume sheets. But I'm warning you, all of you, on your heads, be it. <laughs> the, I, I don't know, like... I I love Brian's performance and his characterization in this because it's it's a little reminiscent of like Sunset Boulevard, but mm. but Brian is having fun the whole way through is something I like. Like Joe was projecting a lot about how um, you know it's uh, humiliating to Brian. I really didn't get that. He was like genuinely just having a blast with Mimsy. Yeah, for sure, hundred percent. And like, do you think he was um, genuinely sexually attracted to her? Because I think I think he was. Because um, I think he's has this sexual appetite where it's it's playful for him. And I think they had the vibes together. That yeah, and he, you know, with his charm that we see him turn on so often, he obviously can like lead a relationship, but I think he just likes the game of romance as well. And it seems to me like he's very fluid and can, can be, can slip into that, uh, subservient position and kind of enjoy it too. Like there was never a point where I thought he wasn't, uh, respecting the game of what he was in with Mimsy and wasn't like fully, consensually into it yeah i think that he liked her confidence Mm -hmm. you know he threw out that that like line about like it may it may include feathers and some light nudity and she was like and you know didn't blink an eye and i think he was like oh okay all right here's what we're in for yeah 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 and like long term was it meant to last Uh, no but like Mm -hmm. his um you know ill-fated uh a near marriage, but I think you know for that moment and for those couple weeks, I think he was having a blast. Yeah. So he goes on to the plane mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to kind of try to get her back. There's a hot tub on the plane. What do you do if it sloshes over? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So he he wants to start over with Mem- Mimsy, and he's trying to apologize. And I wish there were. Some way we could start over. You're not begging. Oh, gosh, no, of course not. <laughs> no, you misunderstand. You're not begging. And then, he, and then um, <laughs> he, does, yeah. he gets on his knees to beg. And then uh-huh. what does she say? He's like, he's doing like, please, Mimsy, please, please. Oh, get up. I think we've discovered the one thing you don't do well. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, then she says, do you really want us to give up together? Honestly, cross my heart, and then like she pats the duvet next to her, so yeah. whatever it is she's sitting on, and he like rests his hand head on her uh, thigh, and um, she like I think pets him for a second, and then she says, "Now get the hell off my plane." <laughs> yeah, I didn't mind the affair ending. Hit the ground running, Mister Past Tense. Yes, yeah. <laughs> And then he, then he says, I made a total fool of myself. Yeah, so it was just like old times. <laughs> <laughs> and here was a great moment for me because Brian gets a little sentimental with her. And this is after the point they've both both acknowledged it's over. He doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't have to say this. He could be mean to her if he wants. But you know, he does say, you know, like, oh, we did have fun. Oh, um, 
you know, what I'll remember most is I'll always remember the night we walked along the beach together, you know? Yeah. And they have a very adult parting, which I, I like to see. Yeah. Um, but then he does have to ask one last time if his friends can have all their things. <laughs> and she says, keep that sense of humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and then she says, Brian, wait, take off your pants. And he goes, wait, you you want me back? No, just the pants. I paid for those. I believe I bought the underwear as well. Yep. And then it fades to black. And then in the end credits, you see him... Uh, Naked. Yeah, he's walking back. Yeah, Yeah. uh, walking on the hot tarmac. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, got his pants off and his underwear off, and you see it all. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that this is mainly like a Brian, uh, Mimsy, and Joe episode, but I love that like Helen and... uh, Helen, Faye, and um, Roy are all playing like big suck ups, and then Lowell's kind of just like, like yeah, like Lowell and Antonio are just kind of like lost. They're like they're they're having very funny moments themselves. Mm-hmm. They're there. Yeah, they're there. Yeah. So, what would you rate this episode? Well, before I get to my rating, I mm-hmm. want to read um, an IMDb review. <laughs> Great. Would this be the one by David Dash Five Three Four Nine Zero? Yeah, it's three three stars out of ten. Uh, the title is Wealth Worship. And he wrote this in just a couple of months ago in June. Mm-hmm. This episode is about compromising all principles to worship wealth. But it's okay because she is a woman. Brian courts a relationship with the wealthy Mimsy, who is visiting Nantucket Island. Tyne Daly does a comedic performance with the weird accent, but the episode itself is rather hollow. And none of the acting or writing felt very standout to me. Helen suddenly is doing real estate? I understand the sitcom is for laughs, but voiding all moral character to portray avarice left me feeling rather hollow. My favorite part of Wings is when it shows a little heart, be it the childhood nostalgia of the characters or friendships among the characters. Um, however, Tony Shalhoub is a welcome addition, <laughs> even though occasionally his acting feels a little hollow. <laughs> you added that last. Part. I added that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I I kind of agree with some sen- some of his sentiments, but mm-hmm. I di- I mostly just disagree. Yeah. This this show, I mean, it it was an abrasive watch for me. Like, I think that her character is sort of a throwback, maybe to an older time that didn't really. I, that probably would have like really rubbed me wrong in 1991, but there's like still traces of that for me. Yeah. But all in all, I thought that the episode was really funny, and I thought that there were like some really good jokes, and so I'm gonna go three and a half stripes. Plus, like that cold open was so good. Oh yeah, that's the Hall of Fame cold open right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you uh, you rated it higher than I was expecting, um, but I w- I'm going to say this is a four stripe episode for me, and I don't totally disagree what uh, with things David said there. I do love a vehicle for like seeing a rich asshole get their comeuppance, but I just had a ton of fun watching this episode. I thought Tyne 
Ailey was amazing. I loved the weird accent and uh, I love the delivery. And, and this to me falls in the category of kind of ridiculous um, madcap episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it was p- just pure delight and fun for me. So four stripes. No, that's great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 I think like the last episode we, one of the more one of the recent episodes we talked about there's been better joke writing on some episodes there's been better physical comedy on some episodes but this just had that like factor of i don't this had this had that uh um kind of wacky uh madcap factor for me I loved it yeah and i feel like that might be more along the lines of of your come comedy mm-hmm. i feel like you and i have like a lot of overlap of about what we appreciate but i think i might lean more like of the sappy rom-com mm-hmm. stuff like yeah. stuff that has a lot of heart and i think you might you might like lean more towards like the stuff that like has more of an edge <laughs> yeah yeah i'd say that is uh one of the flavors i enjoy yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, and it, okay, can you pick a VIP for this? A br- uh, yeah, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, Mimsy brings out the best in Brian, and Brian is amazing in this, but I'm going to say Mimsy is the uh, VIP. I love this character. Yeah, so I didn't like the character, but I like I like that you liked it, and so, mm-hmm. you know, happy about that. <laughs> Uh, there was another piece of IMDb trivia. Did you read that? No, hit me with it. This episode, My Brother's Keeper, was the first time that Tim Daly and his sister Tyne Daly co-starred in a production. They have done this three times. This episode, the 1999 television movie Execution of Justice, and an episode of Judging Amy. Mimsy's character is taken from a word in a passage from the Lewis Carroll poem Jabberwocky. All Mimsy were the Borogroves. <laughs> well, her name's <laughs> Mimsy Borogroves, huh? Oh, yeah. That's great. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Wow. That's so funny. I love that David Lloyd is showing off that he read Jabberwocky. <laughs> that he read <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> Jabberwocky's different than Alice in Wonderland, right? It's a different... It might be in um, Through the Looking Glass, but it's it's included with one of those books. I just remember some theater nerd I met who had the entirety of Jabberwocky memorized. I'm like, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, it is the looking glass. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, um, Emerson, I hate to say it, but I think we talked about this episode of Wings. I think we're- we did. Yeah, and yeah. I, I hate to admit that we did do that. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be returning soon. With the next episode, uh, season three, episode seven of Wangs, called Wangs, called Crate Expectations, another Ooh. another literary kind of reference there, literary twist. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's by uh, Charles Dickhead. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, if you're listening to this, please throw us a like or a subscribe or do something to help our algorithms. Algorithm, algorithm, help our alg- do something to help our algorithms. Mm-hmm. Uh, email us at wingsnutsprogram at gmail.com. Hooah. Uh, Emerson, thank, thank you for talking wings with here today. Thank you, Jared. This is a fun time. <laughs>